The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Last week, we as a church, as we walked away from the sermon, I heard from probably a dozen of you um, using this word conviction to, to detail your response to the word last week as we looked at God's word being cast into four different kinds of soil. Jesus gave this parable of, of seed being cast onto different kinds of soil, each representing the condition of the hearts of men and women in response to God's word. And so some in the crowds would be like uh, seed falling along a path in which the seed doesn't sink into the soil. It gets snatched up by the lies of the enemy, by the deceptions of Satan, our adversary, and the words of Jesus never get to sink in. They, they never catch on into, in our hearts. Some in the crowds, on the other hand, would be like the seed that falls along the shallow, rocky soil, a shallow heart, where emotionally you respond to Jesus, you respond to his word, you like what you hear as long as it's good for you, as long as things go, go well for you. And, and as soon as that therapeutic uh, gift of what Jesus is goes away, when life gets hard, when the heat gets turned on, then those that are like shallow soil would fall away from the faith. The seed never takes root. It never grows. It's scorched by the heat of life. And some in the crowds, like many of us, would be people with divided hearts. People in which the seed comes in, and it comes in alongside of all kinds of other priorities. Things that choke out the Word of God, that make the Word of God unfruitful and ineffective, because we are consumed by all kinds of different priorities all kinds of different worries, all kinds of different things that, that have an elevated value in our hearts and minds, so much so that the word of God gets choked out and we become fruit, unfruitful. And so as we reflected on that, I think a lot of us had this, this sense of like, I need to do some gardening. I at least need to submit to the gardener and have him come in and, and clean up some of this stuff in my life. I see how I'm divided. I see how there are thorns. I see how there are, are, are weeds growing up in my heart that are strangling and, and taking away the effectiveness of God's word and my witness. Anyone feel that? You don't have to raise your hands, but anyone feel that? Like, I got some gardening to do. I need to submit to the gardener. And, and what anyone who gardens will find is when you pull out one big weed, I don't know what it is for you, but, but it's that, that sin issue where you say, if I only got this out of my life, then everything would be better. You know, if, for a lot of the gentlemen in the room, it would be, if I could just get this, this lust issue under control, then I'd be good. I'd be, I'd be pure good soil, or, or I, I don't know what it is for you. But what what you find is if you're ever in your garden and you're pulling weeds out, when you pull out that really big one and you feel good about it, then you start to see all the little ones growing underneath, don't you? And that's actually a gift of grace from God, that we begin to see things we didn't see before. We begin to see, wow, I'm actually very proud. Or I'm, I'm constantly anxious and not trusting in the Lord in these areas. I'm really selfish. And this isn't a beat yourself up. I think the, the word that we received at the end of the sermon last week is that God gives us conviction, but if you're in Christ, it's not condemnation. It is a gift of his grace to reveal the condition of our hearts because what we want to be is that fourth kind of soil. Good soil, receptive to the word of God, where the seed comes in, it grows up into a fruitful plant, and it's fruitful in that it yields fruit that actually creates more seed. I know this isn't... Uh, earth-shaking to any of you, but I had this realization as I was considering the different kinds of, of fruit, these hard hearts, shallow hearts, divided hearts, and I had this realization that seed comes from fruit. I know that sounds like a, Mark, stick to theology, botany's not your thing, but seed comes from fruit. 
as, as we grow in Christ's likeness, as we begin to bear fruit, that fruit actually results in more seed that becomes more plants, that becomes more fruit, that becomes more seed. There is an exponential impact as the kingdom of God moves forward through your individual life. And that is a beautiful thing. And so we, again, this week are going to get to face the condition of our hearts. And we're going to see what happens when we are good soil. What happens when the seed actually takes root in us? What is this kingdom that Jesus is talking about? And what is the kingdom of God like? We'll seek to answer that. So look at Mark 4, starting in verse 21. Jesus is going to give us a bunch of illustrations all strung together in this passage. And he's going to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And he's going to continuously use this, this idea of a seed. A seed that becomes a plant, that bears fruit, which yields more seeds. My son, uh, Marky, Mark Jr., is obsessed with seeds. He loves fruit and vegetables because of the seeds that he gets out of them. I know that's, that's strange to some of you, but he loves eating them and finding the seeds, and he cannot wait to go and plant those seeds in our garden to raise oranges or something. I, I don't know what the end game is there. But seeds, seeds in good soil produce good fruit, which produces more seed, and it's an exponential growth. This is known as the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. What you put into the earth is what will grow out of it. You don't sow tomato seeds and yield oranges. What you put in is what you will get out. You will reap what you sow. You will reap after you sow. It will take time, and you will reap more than you sow. Jesus is going to go through these next few verses. We're going to see Mark record several teachings from Jesus, teachings found in other passages and other contexts. So if you go through Matthew's gospel, instead of seeing these all stacked together, you'll see one here and one over there. And, and what's going on there? Well, Mark's intention is different from Matthew's. He's not necessarily trying to place everything chronologically in a time and place for you. And he's also recording for us some of the highlight reel of Jesus's teaching, some of his teachings that, that come again and again as he's going through the countryside. He's teaching a crowd over here and a crowd over there, and there are common themes and common teachings that come through here. But what he's doing is he is proclaiming the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has come through him, through his presence, and he's going to show us what is the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is like. Simply put, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in the earth. The rule and reign of God Almighty, Jesus Christ in the earth. And image, as image bearers of God, which you are, part of what we do as reflections of Christ is we carry forth this rule and reign. We go out with our bag of seed and we spread more and more the kingdom as we live lives yielded to him, as we become more like him and as we lead others to him. That's what the kingdom is, the rule and reign of Christ in the earth. But what is it like? What is the kingdom like? How can we recognize its characteristics? This is what Jesus shows us through his parables. The first thing we see is this. The kingdom of God brings light. The kingdom of God brings light. What do I mean by that? Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. And like light, the coming of the kingdom makes an unmistakable difference in people's lives. You cannot miss light when it bursts into darkness. How many of you lost power over the last week or so? Anyone? Just Manassas Park. Great. <laughs> well, actually, at, at camp this week, our, our teenagers were off at their youth group camp, and they lost power for, I think, over 24 hours as a mini tornado swept through the camp. Everyone's fine. They lost some soccer balls. Um, but other than that, they're good. But they, they didn't have running water. They didn't have electricity. It was hot. Um, and they made it home as survivors. But um, 
what they will tell you and what I can tell you from the couple of hours in which the power was out last week after one of those crazy storms is that when it's been dark for a long time, even the smallest of light makes such a big difference. One single candle can absolutely light up a room once our eyes begin to adjust. And, and even more so, when the power comes back on and when all those lights that you thought were off when you went to bed that night burst back on, it's startling. It's unmistakable. Light drives back darkness. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. Even the smallest of light flees. The, the, the greatest of darkness flees at the smallest of light. The kingdom comes like that. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Rhetorical question. What's the answer? No. Or under a bed? I think as Jesus says this, we wonder sometimes, did Jesus have a sense of humor? But this is the kind of picture, someone bringing their oil lamp and just hiding it under a basket or hiding it under, under a bed that would make his audience smile because it, it's just ridiculous. Of course you wouldn't do that. It's silly. Instead, he says, don't you put it on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Like I said, this is a list of, of Jesus' teachings. You'll hear snippets like this in a number of different places. But here I want to focus on this idea of the kingdom of God being light and bringing light. And what I, I see in that is two truths. That as the kingdom of God comes unmistakably, obviously, number one, the truth will be revealed. The truth will be revealed. The secret things of God will be revealed and the truth about our lives will be revealed. When we talked last week about those divided priorities, about those weeds and thorns, Choking out our fruitfulness, I know some of you immediately thought of your secrets. Your secrets, those things that, that maybe you don't want to deal with. And, and what we know about the kingdom of God, friends, is that there are no secrets to God. In recovery ministry, they, they say that you are only as sick as your secrets. And I think the flip side of that is that you will only be spiritually healthy to the extent that you are honest before God. And even with others. I'm not talking about being exhibitionistic. I'm not talking about putting out your stuff in front of everyone. But about, I'm talking about being honest in confession with God and perhaps with trusted friends. God knows what's going on in your life. And in his love and his grace, he invites you to let the light in, to let the light illuminate those, those dark corners of your heart, that room that you say, you can have access to all of me, Holy Spirit, but not that part not that part. I want that for myself. I'm going to hide that. I can deal with that. I've got it under control. Do you? Here in Christ's gentleness and grace, he invites us to let his light in. And we can attempt to hide even deeper, or we can surrender to his grace. We can let him cleanse us. We can invite him to be the gardener that, that pulls out those rocks and those weeds. Ephesians 5.11 says this. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. A lot of translators translate this, have no fellowship with these deeds of darkness. Have no fellowship with them. Don't make these deeds of darkness your friend, your companion that you cling to, but instead expose them. I think so often, and maybe this is just me, but we believe this lie that we are safer, hiding in our secrets, 
than we are in exposing them to the light of God's word and his truth. And it's a lie. We are not safer clinging to our chains, having fellowship with darkness. We are safer when we turn honestly, wholeheartedly, and surrender to our loving Savior and Lord who has already taken all of our iniquities, all of our sin on himself on a cross. He's paid it all. And maybe you think, no, I can just fake it. Mark, couldn't someone just fake it? I'm sure some of us do all the time. But here's, here's what the light does. It reveals no matter what. When the kingdom of God comes, it reveals no matter what. So, so you can fake it for a little while. But all that is hidden will come to light. If the kingdom comes, hard hearts will be revealed. Shallow hearts will be revealed. Divided hearts will be revealed. And good soil will be revealed by its fruit. I think of David. David, this great hero of the, of the faith, and you'll remember the story. It's a familiar one. He steals someone else's wife. He violates Bathsheba, and he has Uriah, her husband, uh, murdered, essentially, in battle. He sets up his death. And, and Nathan the prophet comes to him and reveals to him through this story about a, a sheep that David is guilty of this, that he's done this. And he calls him out, and, and, and it turns David to repentance, it turns David to, to receive God's mercy. Let me tell you, it's not without consequences. Sometimes people will tell this story and they're like, and then it all goes well for David. No, he suffers through some horrible natural consequences to what he's done. But he also experiences the grace and mercy of God and, and is beloved by God. And we see revealed in this God's limitless mercy and grace even toward David. It is God's kindness, not his condemnation, that leads us to repentance. And I've experienced this. We, as, as a, a church, we believe that the Spirit is at work in our midst, that He speaks to us. And, and can I tell you something that's a little scary or this might make you feel a little nervous? I've had friends call me up who have had dreams that reveal to them some areas of sin that I'm struggling in. <laughs> How many of you want that friend to give you a call? But the, but the truth is, it allows me to confess it. It sets me free. God is so gentle and gracious, and even the, the people that he, he gifts that with. And they're listening to him, and they're nervous to have these kinds of conversations. But isn't it so much better when we're able to face ourselves honestly without that kind of drama, that kind of, of, of stark light bursting in, and instead live day, daily with honesty toward God? with open hearts towards him, confessing our needs. Lord, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. And today, Lord, lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Isn't it better when we live daily, honest lives of devotion to our Lord, turning over these things to him every time they come up and asking him to lead us to repentance? God is kind. And confession and, and and good friendships where we can be honest are such a gift. We can allow light in. Psalm 119 has one of my favorite quiet time prayers. It says this, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that all the time. God, come in. Let your, your searchlight come into my life. And lead me in your way. The truth will come to light. 
The truth will come to light, not just in our personal lives, but the truth will also come to light in culture and society. I think a lot of us are stressed out about how the world is going around us. We look around and we think, man, this is the most confused and the most dark and the most desperate I've ever seen society be. But what scripture encourages us in is that as the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom goes forth through believers, that the light will overcome the darkness. The light will prevail and those things that are true will be revealed as truth. The kingdom is the rule and reign of Christ on the earth. And as image bearers of God, we bear that truth. We carry that forward and we spread his rule and reign and the darkness will not prevail. No matter how dark it feels, it will not prevail. The second thing I see in this is that our faith is meant to be visible. Our faith is meant to be visible. Do people know that you belong to Jesus? Do they know that you are his? Jesus says that this light is not meant to be hidden like a, a lamp under a bowl. You, as followers of Jesus, have been given a great gift. And Jesus isn't trying to hide his message. He's not trying to obscure it through these parables. He's trying to reveal light and life to those who have ears to hear, to those who will respond. And so as followers of Jesus, we bring that same light into the world. Do others see it in you? If you were put on trial today for being a Christian? Would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Jesus, in giving the same teaching in Matthew's gospel, he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So don't shrink. Let the world know that you are his. Be bright let them see the life and light of Christ in you. Do you know we have a Savior worth knowing? We have an eternal life worth, worth sharing. We have this good and precious gift of forgiveness of sins. How many people do you know that need forgiveness of sins? How many people do you know that, that need access to eternal life that they cannot receive through their own efforts? We have that. We have that light and that life and as we follow Jesus, people around us will begin to see in us a difference. And this will make a difference, not just in, in our evangelism, but in our closest relationships. Our family will begin to see that we are different. This isn't superficial. It's not about pretending to be nice so that people meet Jesus. No, it's about a daily abiding relationship with Jesus where he transforms us from the inside out so that we are different. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone like that where you meet them and without even sharing a word of exchange with them, you have the sense that they are a Christian? I know some people like that. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ, the seed, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's not about just being nice to the world. No, what the word of God does is it transforms us so that we burst forth with joy and with worship and praise and gratitude. That's just what flows out of us, out of a deep abiding life in Christ, living in the light. And Colossians will go on to describe how this will affect your parenting, how this will affect your marriage, how this will affect you in the workplace. It makes all the difference in every context in life. And it tells us that we then can live with joy to the glory of God in all things, in word and in deed. The truth will come to light. The light ought to be visible in us. He then says, to the measure you apply yourself to this, you will experience even more fruit. And Jesus gives this kind of paradigm often. As you give yourself to him in these areas, he will give you even more. 
As you give yourself to him in evangelism, he will give you more opportunities. As you give yourself to him in generosity towards the poor and the needy, he will give you more opportunities to be generous. He is an abundant God, abundant and loving, and he will reward us for our faithfulness as we apply ourselves. The second thing we see is that the kingdom of God doesn't just bring light, it brings life. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows he knows not how. And the, and the Greek it actually uses this word automate. It's automatically. It grows by itself without the farmer really doing anything. And, and I've heard some of you say that you are, are gardeners in the last week or so, that you like to plant things. And, and what you know then is that as the seed goes into your garden, it just doesn't spring up overnight. But at some point after you've planted it, it almost surprises you as it bursts to life and it grows beyond your expectations over time in response to the sun and the rain. And it grows. Whether you watch it or not, it will grow. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. It is life. It is life. For the, the heart that's receptive soil to the word of God, God's word will come in and it will produce this, this gradual and beautiful transformation. Life coming out of something that appears to be lifeless. Maybe this has been your experience. You knew uh, long ago that you were dead in sin and trespasses, that your life was going nowhere, that you couldn't save yourself and Christ came in and you've seen that he's made a difference in your life. Or maybe you've seen that in other people, that, that when they came to Christ, everything changed for them somehow. I'm sure there are people here in this room who are not even Christians. But they know real Christians. And they know people who were, were once living lives that, that were just like yours. All over the place. And you have to admit, you see the difference that Christ has made. Don't you see the way that he, he transforms? That, that, that those that you know who have come to Christ are not the same as they were in high school. They're not the same as they were in college, there is something different. When Christ comes in for real, when that seed actually takes root, there is a new life, born again. The kingdom of God is like this. His word brings life and transformation. It's not just self-help. It's not just getting your life better, but it is the transforming, mysterious work of God over time. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came... Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So then in verse 28, he says, the earth, the soil, produces by itself. First, the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. He's referring to his, his coming back at the end of the age to judge the living and the dead. Christ is coming back. But what he's also describing is this gradual imperceptible almost rise to life of a plant and this progress of the kingdom as it brings light and life to even more people. Now to his Jewish audience, they wouldn't really like this. They're expecting a revolution. They're expecting things to happen all at once. And he says, no, the kingdom of God is not like that. It's going to be almost imperceptible. And whether you see it coming or not, it's going to re result in individual life transformation all around you. His rule and reign will progress even through persecution, even through hardship, even through martyrdom until the consummation of the kingdom at the harvest, his second coming in glory. Maybe soon. Will you be ready? The third thing we see is that the kingdom of God brings growth. 
Now you could say, Mark, we've already seen that in the previous parable. We see that it grows. Yes, but watch this. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus again uses a parable, a word picture, and I want to show you a picture of this this mustard seed if um, we have it ready for you. Do you see it? I'm just kidding. I actually had a picture for you. (laughs) There it is. There it is. The tiniest of seeds. Now, is it literally the smallest seed in the world? Uh, That's not really the point Jesus is making. To his audience, to those that would be planters, farmers, gardeners, this would be the smallest kind of seed that they would be using. And it is extremely tiny, almost unnoticeable. And yet, when it goes into the soil and grows up, I want to show you what it can look like. If we go to the next picture, it grows up to that. Now, he calls it the the largest of the garden plants. It's really, it's more like a shrub than a tree, but that is a 12-foot-wide shrub growing in your garden. That is massive exponential growth from that tiny little seed. And this is what the kingdom of God is like, so large that the birds can come and gather on its branches or under its shade. The kingdom of God begins small. And as it takes root in people's hearts as they respond to the truth, God's rule and reign will continue to expand extraordinarily, exponentially, far beyond our expectations and will become like a shade and a shelter to the birds. We see this referred to in Psalm 91 and Ezekiel 17, where where God's kingdom is like shade to those that are his. Now, this, just as an aside, the birds in this, this story, if we go back to the scripture, um, sometimes people debate the, what the birds are in this story. Anyone really curious, what are the birds? <laughs> no? Okay. Um, I'll just talk about it anyway. Um, <laughs> there are some that, that look back at the previous parable about the seed going on the path and the birds coming and snatching it up, and they say, the birds are the lies of Satan. Birds are, are, are demonic, and they'll make this very elaborate case in this parable. Separate parable, separate application, separate story. That's not what Jesus is doing here. But we will see in Scripture that birds are often compared to the different kingdoms of the earth. You'll see that in Daniel's prophecy. You'll see that in in actually a number of places in Scripture. And the point is really this. The point is that the kingdom of God will last and grow beyond any earthly kingdom. It will begin small like a seed in the hearts of humans, uh, but As it grows, this kingdom of God, which appears so small, so vulnerable to attack, will grow up from something insignificant to thrive and become something that is unaffected by the birds. Nations and powers and kingdoms that take shade under the shelter of the kingdom will thrive. How many of you know that's true? That the kingdoms of earth that submit themselves to the word of God thrive. And yet, even more so, the kingdom of God will endure far beyond them all. Birds will come and go. Babylon will come and go. Rome will come and go. The United States of America, uh, the eagle of the USA will come and go. But the kingdom of God will endure forever and it will outgrow and outlast them all. The mustard tree, the smallest of seeds, will outlast them all. Psalm 46 says this. It says, be still. Be still. Don't you worry Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. The prophet Isaiah declares this, and, and Peter echoes it in his letters. It says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Verse 33, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. It's not that he, he only exclusively used parables, but every time he taught, he taught with parables mixed into his teaching. And then it says, privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. God's kingdom brings light, God's kingdom brings life, and God's kingdom brings growth. And so what do we do with this? I just want to ask you three questions as we come to a conclusion, as we reflect on these parables. What does it mean for us to be part of the expanding kingdom work of God? The first question I want to ask you is this, for you to consider. Have you received the seed of the good news? Have you received the seed of the good news? Has God, Jesus Christ, taken up residence in you? Have you believed in him for your salvation? What the Bible tells us, what it teaches us, is that God created this world, and he created us for relationship with him, and he created it good. But the corrupting power of sin through us and in us has resulted in a separation, a distancing from God. And yet what he did is not leave us helpless and hopeless, though we were in our sin. He sent his very son to die in our place on a cross, to take our sin upon himself. And Jesus rose from the grave three days later, showing that he had conquered death. And what scripture tells us is that if we believe in him, we can receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, life that begins with him now and lasts forever, not just a ticket to heaven, but life and light and growth now. If you've never given your life to Jesus, does that make sense to you? And do you want that? You can respond to him this morning. Is there anything holding you back from putting your trust in Jesus? It's not about praying some kind of fancy prayer with words in the right order. What scripture calls you to do is to believe in him. And I'd encourage you to pray about it. I'd encourage you to talk to each other about this belief. But all he calls us to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you too can be saved. What Jesus has done is good news. Has that good news taken root in you? Have you received the good news? Secondly, do you know how to communicate the good news? A lot of Christians in this room, I know you're believers, many of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time. Do you know how to communicate this good news? Do you know how to spread the seed of the gospel to others? Some of you think, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Thank you for asking me. I know how it works. You just are really nice to everybody. And at some point, when your, your coworkers or your neighbors notice how nice you are, they're going to come up to you and they're going to say, hey man, what's different about you? I see it. What's different about you? And you're going to say, it's Jesus. And then they're going to respond, I want that. I want in. I want to be part of it. I actually had a friend of mine. That's the dream, right? That, that's how it's supposed to go, right? But I have, I have a friend who I've told the story before, but I, I, I think it's a great reminder. He had this golden opportunity arise. One of his clients told him, hey, hey, there's something different about you. You have this joy. You have this life. You have this hope. And there's something different about you and, and this energy, it's positive vibes or whatever it is, and I want it. What is it? And he said, I'm a Christian. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what it is. That's what makes all the difference. And her response was, mm, no, I don't think that's what it is. I, I, <laughs> she's looking for a new diet or something. I don't know. But 
But, but what we see in Scripture is that the seed is the Word of God. It's not, just, it's not just the outward behavior. The gospel is not, hey, look how awesome I am. Come to Jesus and you can become awesome like me. No, it's, it's look how desperate I was. I was lost and blind, and, and he has given me life and sight. Jesus has paid it all for me when I was desperate, hopeless, and helpless. He saved me from my sins, and he's given me purpose in life, and he has changed me, and is changing me from the inside out. Do you want that too? He's done that for you too. Do you know how to share the good news of what he's done? I was once lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Are you able and confident to share the seed that you've been given? We have to actually speak up. I love that quote. It's, it's preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words. Have you heard that before? We preach the gospel through the way we live, but that, that quote is actually inadequate because the gospel, the saving work of Jesus, is seed. It, it is the word of God. We have to speak the word. We have to know the word. We have to be able and ready to share the word. Thirdly, will you bear fruit? By being part of God's expanding kingdom work, will you make your life count for the work of the kingdom? Will you have these kinds of gospel conversations? Will you live faithfully? I know it's difficult, but I just want to encourage you, even when Jesus speaks, he, he's casting the best seed there is. And yet he doesn't necessarily control how the audience will respond to it. Actually, he tells us that there are going to be some that will not respond. Hard soil, shallow soil, thorn-filled soil. He tells us that we're not always going to get a positive response. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, it should be. It should be that it, it doesn't all bank on us. If it goes bad when we share the gospel with someone, Jesus tells us that that is what is going to happen and it happens to him. What he wants is for us to be yielded to his spirit, to be led by him, to be ready to bear fruit and to share this good news that we have. I, I will conclude with a brief story. About two and a half years ago, a wonderful godly couple walked up to me after a service and gave me a handshake. And it was one of those handshakes that was more than a handshake. There was something in that handshake. Ever gotten one of those before? No? No? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what was in that handshake. It was a, a wad of cash was in that handshake. Those are the best kind. I shake everyone's hand just in case. <laughs> but, but they, uh, they believed that God's Spirit had told them, they had been praying and listening to the Lord, had told them uh, to give me that money, but it was with some stipulations. They said, Mark, here's what we want you to do. We want you to keep a certain portion of it, but, but there's $400 here that we actually want you to give away as the Lord leads you. And I just remember being blown away by that. I mean, that's so cool, right? They were listening to the Spirit of God, obedient to His leading, and as a result, they had not just blessed me, but they had actually empowered me to be able to bless someone else beyond my own means, beyond my own ability through their generosity. So cool. So I, so I went home and I bought myself an Xbox and uh, <laughs> didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I'll tell you what I did do. I began to pray immediately. I began to pray and seek the Lord for where, where he might have me use that money. I kept it in my pocket constantly so that I would be prepared. I paid attention to what God was doing around me and I prayed attention to what he was doing around me and I watched expectant that God would give me an opportunity to bless someone with that money. Do you know how long it took me to find someone with a specific need that needed that amount of money at just the right time? Do you know how long that took me as I was praying and seeking and paying attention to the Lord? It took two days. Two days. It wasn't the first day, but the second day, I, I came across someone who had that exact need. 
two days. What if we lived with that same kind of intentionality with the gospel as I did with a couple hundred bucks in my pocket? We have something so much greater, so much better than any uh, amount of money. What if we lived like it? Is the gospel burning a hole in your pocket? Do you know how precious it is, the gift that God has given you? And are you praying? And are you seeking opportunities to give it away? I didn't earn that money. It was simply a gift of grace. And in response, as a result, I couldn't wait to give it away, to give it to someone else. Are you prayerful? Are you watchful? Are you expectant? Are you looking for where God is already at work by his spirit, drawing people to himself? And are you ready to give them the gift of the kingdom? What if we shared the word of God like this, zealously, passionately, so that many lives could be transformed by it? I want to be part of the expanding work of God's kingdom. I believe God as, as a church has called us to be part of that. And as I've prayed and sought the Lord for, for vision for this church, what he's given me is this picture. He wants us to be a church that, that is pushing out the borders of heaven itself with the, the lives that are being saved through you. God wants to make an eternal impact through you as we yield to him, as we are submitted to his spirit, and as we, as we go forth boldly with his word. God has called us to be a church that makes it count to the glory of God. Let's pray as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the seed that you've entrusted us with. It is so precious, Lord, and yet it is not just for us. Lord, when you, when you come back at the end of the age, Lord, you will be coming back to an abundant harvest because of good soil and because of obedient servants. I pray that we as a church would be part of that. Lord, continue to do the work that you've, you've begun to do in us, gently pulling out the weeds and thorns that are, are keeping us from being fruitful, Lord. And I also just pray that through us as a church and as individuals, you would help us to bear much fruit. Let us live lives of surrender yielded to you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.